What's going on, everybody? This is your man, L. Jamal, coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounds. Of course, this is the place where you can say what you want as long as you got them facts. We got a bit to talk about today. We got a couple uh, couple articles to talk about on the word and the street. And then uh, we're going to be breaking down some college football. Of course, we have all the ball games to get through. And, of course, I'll be breaking down some college basketball for you. Uh, we have some scores and some rankings to go over there as well. And then, finally, we have some NBA news and some NBA action to go over as well as the standings there. Uh, so let's get right into it, of course, with the word on the street. And the first story I got is about North Korea, and it looks as though they are very mad. The leader of North, uh, North Korea, Kim North Korea Kim Jong-un has recently threatened to reopen testing on missiles and nukes. This is a response to a deadline stipulated between them and the U.S. Uh, that would allow them to renew uh, basically peace in the nuclearization talks. They wanted to come to some, well at least according to North Korea, uh, they're willing uh, to wait the year. Uh, they they denuked for the most part. Of course, we already you know caught them you know testing missiles a while back, but for the most part. They had slowed a lot of things down. Uh, they were at least willing uh, to talk to the U.S., uh, but now that seems to be off the table. The U.S. has also been running uh, running military drills with their rival South Korea. So again, you know, it's it's just about how things look. You know, the U.S. wants to control what North Korea is doing. They don't want them to make nukes. However, uh, they want the U.S. wants to be able to train uh, with North Korea's direct rival. Now, why would why would not now ask yourself this question? Be, be, be real with yourself. Why would the U.S. conduct any type of military exercise with South Korea? Why? Are they gearing for some type of conflict? That's how I think about it. It's the same way when, uh, when the, when, when you know, uh, Donald Trump decided he wanted to go to uh, Vladimir Zelensky and ask him to run some type of uh, bogus investigation. It makes, uh, it makes the United States and the country that they're that they're going to look a little bit suspect because we got to remember, uh, the the U.S. I'm sorry, the Ukraine and the U and Russia have history together. So when the U.S. so when the Russia sees the U.S. trying to manipulate one of its well, one of its people, uh, one of the, or one of the countries around them, of course, uh, Russia is going to look into that. Of course, North Korea is going to feel some type of way if the U.S. is trying to tell them not to make nukes, not to do this, not to do that, but just going to turn around and train with their rivals. So, again, there's some issues there. Um, again, we have the white man trying to tell everybody else how to run their shit. And again, people are getting tired of that. This is come. This is a quote directly from Kim Jong Un. Again, it's one of his threats. He said, "The world will witness a new strategic weapon to be possessed by the DPRK in the near future." So again, he'll be going back to nuclear testing. They no longer want to talk to America. That is what happens when you, you know, again, you make these deadlines and you don't want to show up, and then you turn around and you, again, you're, you're training with their rival. Uh, he would also send out a, 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 a sorry a week ago. He would also send out another threat uh, referring to something around Christmas and something like that but Trump will go around and you know he make a little joke out of it because he obviously doesn't seem to take it seriously uh, Trump will go on to say maybe it's a present where he sends me uh, sends me a vase uh, or as opposed to a missile test I may get a vase I may get a nice present from him you don't know you never know so of course he's trying not to take it seriously uh, but I think 
there's some real there's some real rift there between them and North Korea. Again, they uh, the U.S. reneged on that deadline to come up and meet with them. And again, I think at least North I mean North Korea. I don't think they wanted to officially stop everything, but they were able to come up with some concessions. I believe they were able you know to at least sit down and talk to the U.S. But now that the U.S. is not even taking them seriously, that's how they're taking it. They're taking it as though they're being rebuffed and disrespected and ignored. Now you have this situation now, so they're back to testing. They're back. Uh, they're back to testing missiles. They're back to testing nukes. And this is the thing: um, Kim Jong Un has been in power for over uh, for well since 2011, and he's activated over 100 missiles, and he's actually done four nuke tests. So again, he's active about trying to trying to get his shit together. Uh, he's actually going to make weapons if that's what y'all going to want him to do. Again, I believe that he was willing to talk about it. He's willing to you know say, well, there's some type of number that we can you can agree with because I don't think in all reality, if unless the U.S. and all these other people are going to stop making nukes, then it's not fair to say, well. North Korea. And my, I'm just keeping it real. It's not really fair for any government to say, well, you can't have nukes because we don't trust you, but we're going to have all these other nukes ourselves. And then not only, not only have nukes ourselves trained with your geographical rivals, that doesn't make any sense to me. So again, uh, the U.S. has put themselves into some shit. And again, this is being confirmed by the U.S. ambassador for North Korea that denuclearization is no longer an option and that the government of North Korea will cease all com communications with Trump, they've had about enough of it, and they try to. They're, I guess they're tired of being, you know, overlooked, uh, not taken seriously, and we'll see what happens uh, when it comes to that. Um, some other Trump news. Uh, this is per this is you know good. Well, trying to be good timing for him because of course he's, uh, you know, this is the twentieth. This is election year A, and then of course he's under some you know under impeachment. Uh, but Trump uh, on Monday. Uh, claimed that the U.S. and China would sign uh, a very long, this is according to his, this is his quote here, a very long and comprehensive trade deal at the White House on January the 15th. Uh, this is almost, this is taking almost two years to accomplish. Of course, we know about the issues with the tariffs, so on and so forth. Uh, the U.S. and China are the top two economies on the planet. Just to let you guys know, this is what we're dealing with. After signing, um, after the signing, Trump also stated that he would travel to China later in the month to uh, discuss part two of the deal. Currently, the, the agreement would only affect about $120 billion in tariffs, uh, mostly on consumer goods, electronics, again, to get you to buy stuff because again, our economy is based on what we talked about it. One third of consumer spending. That's what part of our that's what one third of our economy is based on consumer spending and debt. Let's just keep it real. Uh, China has also agreed to buy more American farm goods and energy products, about 40, 40 billion dollars worth of farm goods, as well as better protecting U.S. business businesses in the country. Food, energy, and manufactured goods and services to China would also go up by $200 billion. So again, the U.S. just wants China to buy more of their shit. This is the issue. China has their own country, their own companies, so on and so forth. So why do they need to invest so much in, you, in the U.S.? That's that's what it comes down to. Again, the U.S. is trying to dictate to the world what to do, and it's becoming uh, ever present to me that it is, you know, no longer the way of the world. Nobody's been listening to me. They'll 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 you know they they had a lot of people half-ass listen to what I'm saying here, and then go listen to it somewhere else on YouTube and so on some other podcast. Oh my God, he was right. No, duh, we've been talking about this for months. But again, I'll just keep talking. I understand. Y'all gonna listen to me eventually. I know what I'm talking about, but that's okay. Uh, 
I'm going to take a quick break, y'all, and when I come back, we'll be talking some college football. I'll be breaking down some of the ball games. Of course, we had some great action yesterday with the Rose Bowl. Uh, we're also going to be breaking down Georgia and Baylor. Well, not so much breaking it down, but we got some more scores here as well. Uh, we have the Orange Ball, Music City Ball, all the balls from this week. Uh, we're going to at least talk about them uh, just for a little bit. And then, of course, we have some college basketball stuff we have to get to as well. And that's later on down in the show. We'll be, we'll be getting right back to you guys. Oh, yeah. Let's talk some college football. Uh, we're going to be going over the, the ball games. Uh, we're going to start off with some uh, some action from Monday. Uh, West Western Kentucky gets it done against Western Michigan in the first responder ball. 23-20 uh, was the final score there. In the red box ball, Cal uh, gets a win against Illinois, 35-20. Up next, you got the Music City ball with Mississippi State and Louisville. Louisville gets the, uh, the W in this one, 38-28. And then to end up everything on Monday, you got the orange ball where you had the orange ball with number nine Florida getting it done against Virginia 30 uh, 36 to 28 Virginia was a 24th team in the nation uh, Florida ends the ends the year excuse me at 11 and 2 and Virginia finishes at 9 and 5 let's break down the stats for this one uh, for Florida on offense it was led by quarterback Kyle Trask he would go 24 39 for 305 yards he would throw a touchdown pass but an interception as well he'd also have 37 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns. Running back LeMichael P. Ryan would have 138 rushing yards and a touchdown. He'd also have five catches and also uh, 43 receiving yards for a touchdown. And wide receiver Van Jefferson would have six catches for 129 yards. He was the Gators' leading wide leading receiver. On defense, the Gators were led by defensive back Amari Bernie. He would have five total tackles. Defensive back Grand, uh, sorry, Brad Stewart would have five total tackles. And defensive lineman Adam Schuler would have five, sorry, three total tackles. Tackles in a sack, and defensive back Kyir Elam would have an interception. Moving on for Virginia, uh, they were led by quarterback Bryce Perkins offensively. He would go for 28 of 40 uh, for passing. He'd also have 323 yards. He also had four touchdowns, but he would throw one interception as well. He was the team's leading rusher as well, with just 27 rushing yards. Uh, the, the Gators had a had a field day, field day in terms of rushing defense. Wide receiver uh, Terrell Jana would be the leading receiver for the Cavaliers with seven catches and 120 yards. He also catch a touchdown pass as well. Uh, wide receiver Hasise Dubois would have 10 catches for, for 83 yards and two touchdowns. And wide receiver Joe Reed would have seven catches for 52 yards and a touchdown. On defense, Virginia was led by linebacker Zane Zandier. He would have 14 total tackles. And safety Chris Moore would have seven total tackles. On Christmas Eve, everything started off with the Belk Ball, with Kentucky getting a last-minute win against Virginia. Virginia Tech, uh, 37 to 30 was the final score there. In the Sun Ball, Arizona State gets it done against Florida State, 20 to 14. In the Liberty Ball, uh, Navy again gets a last-second win here as well. Number 23 Navy gets the win against Kansas State, 20 to 17. In the Arizona Ball, Wyoming 
uh, get to win against Georgia State, 38 to 17. And rounding out New Year's Eve, you got the Alamo Ball with Texas. Unranked Texas getting a blowout victory over number 11 Utah, 38 to 10 was the final score there. Texas finishes 20, 2019 or the 2019-2020 season with an eight to five with an eight to five record and Utah finishes at 11 and three. Uh, let's break down the stats in this one as well. Uh, in this one, Utah was led offensively by quarterback Tyler Huntley. He would go 15 or three. 23 for 126 yards with a touchdown pass as well. Running back Zach Moss, Moss would be the leading rusher with 57 rushing yards. Uh, tight end Cole Fotheringham uh, will be the leading receiver with three catches and 30 yards. And wide receiver Damari Simpkins would add a touchdown reception to that as well. Uh, on defense, the Utes were led by linebacker Devin Lloyd, who had six total tackles and a sack. And defensive back Javelin Goudry would have six total tackles and an interception. For Texas, on offense, it was led by quarterback Sam Ellinger, who went 12 of 18 for 201 yards. He also threw for three touchdowns, uh, but one pick. He also had, uh, had 73 rushing yards and also a touchdown. Keontae Egram was the leading rusher for the Longhorns with 108 rushing yards and a touchdown. He would also have 26 receiving yards and a touchdown to add to that as well. Raw receiver uh, Devin DuVernay would have three total catches with 92 yards and a touchdown to add to that. And wide receiver Colin Johnson would have three catches for 62 yards and a touchdown. On defense, Texas were led by linebacker Joseph Osai. He would have nine total tackles and three sacks. Defensive back Camden Stearns would have eight total tackles. And uh, defensive lineman um, Tavquan Graham and also Malcolm Reach, or sorry, Malcolm Roach would have four total tackles and a sack each. Uh, moving on to the from to yesterday's action uh, in the Outback Bowl, everything starts off with number 18 Michigan getting an upset against number 12 Auburn, 31 to 24. Uh, for Minnesota, they are they finished the year at 11 and two. Auburn uh, finishes at 11 and four. But Minnesota offensively, they were of course led by quarterback Tanner Morgan. He would go 19 to 29 for 278 yards through two through two touchdown passes, uh, but also an interception as well. Wide receiver Seth Green would throw a touchdown pass, and while I uh, saw running back Muhammad Ibrahim will be the team's leading rusher with 140 yards on the ground and also a touchdown. And wide receiver Tyler Johnson at 12. Catches 204 yards and two touchdowns. He also break the school's record uh, for receiving touchdowns in a career at 32. He'd also break the, the school's uh, school's career receiving record as well. He had six catches and 64 yards in the first half. Tight end Bryce uh, Witham would have a receiving touchdown to add to that. And on defense, the Golden Gophers were led by defensive back Chris Williamson. He would have seven total tackles. Defensive back Kerry Dunn would have uh, seven total tackles. And also defensive lineman Sam Kenner would have four total tackles and a sack. Uh, let's move on. Uh, we got uh, for Auburn on offense, they were led by quarterback Bo Nix. He went 17 to 26 for 176 yards and a touchdown. Running back Jartavius Whitlow would have 24 yards on the ground and a touchdown. And wide receiver Anthony Schwartz would have six total catches and 49 yards. And wide receiver Sal Candela would have a 37-yard touchdown reception. On defense, the Tigers were led by Jeremiah Denson. He would have nine total tackles and also was a Kobe McLean at the linebacker spot. He would have seven total tackles as well. Uh, up next, we have the Citrus Ball with number 13 Alabama getting a beat down on number 14 Michigan. 35 to 16 is the final score there. Jim, Jim Harbaugh, in my opinion, may or may not be going. I think 
he's on his way out with a loss like that. But that's my opinion. And finally, the big daddy, the big granddaddy of them all, this is what they call it, the Rose Ball game. My Ducks, of course, get a two-point win over the Wisconsin Badgers, 28-27. Uh, I believe the Ducks finished 12-2. and Wisconsin finishes 11-3. and Of course, Oregon came into this one number six. Wisconsin was number eight. We're going to break down the stats in this one as well. For Oregon offensively, uh, quarterback Justin Herbert will lead the way. Fortune to 20 through the air for 138 yards. No touchdowns, but he threw an interception. Uh, but he had 29 major rushing yards, and he it at all ended up being uh, with three rushing touchdowns. So you can't take that away from him. I don't think, again, I'm not 100% sold that he's a first-round draft pick at the quarterback spot, but he got it done for the Ducks yesterday. Running back C.J. Verdell will be the leading rusher with just 49 rushing yards, and wide receiver Juwan Johnson will have five catches for 68, 66 yards. On defense, linebacker Brady Breeze was pretty much, in my opinion, a player of the game, uh, my MVP for the Rose Ball. Uh, Rose Ball, excuse me, linebacker Brady Breeze would have 11 total tackles, a forced fumble, and then also a fumble recovery for a touchdown. Down. He was all over the place, smacking people, creating uh, creating plays. And I think that fumble recovery is, is probably what definitely, well, definitely what kept us in that game. So, uh, Brady Breeze, my opinion, MVP honors for the Rose Ball. Uh, Oregon will score on all three turnovers that they forced. That was a key, that was a key factor in that game as well. Uh, when Oregon took the ball back, they were able to score. That's important to do. Uh, linebacker Troy Dye would have nine total tackles and defensive back Javon Holland and also Isaac linebacker Isaac Slade Matuita would have eight total tackles each. For Wisconsin, of course, offensively they were led by quarterback Jack Cohen. He would have, he would go 25 or 35 for 186 yards. He would throw a touchdown, but he would also throw an interception as well. Running back Jonathan Taylor uh, would go over past the 2000 mark again. I believe he stood at 2003 at the end of the game. Uh, he had 94 total yards uh, in this one, the leading rusher for both teams. And wide receiver Quintez Cephas had another. A decent game. Seven catches for 59 yards and a touchdown. He made some crucial catches in the first half as well. That would put uh, Wisconsin on top. On defense, uh, the Badgers led by linebacker Jack Sanborn. He would have eight total tackles and also safety Eric Burrell. He would have three total tackles and a sack. And finally, to end everything out, we have the Sugar Bowl. Uh, number five, Georgia gets a win against number seven, Baylor. Uh, 26 to 14 is the final score there. Alright, y'all. I ain't gonna take a another quick break and when we come back we'll be breaking down some college basketball and then we got some NBA stuff to go over as well all right y'all I will be right back back we're going to break down some college basketball for a little bit we're going to start off with the top 25 rankings uh today we'll be doing six through ten we're going to start off with baylor today at number six baylor is at ten and one they are currently riding a nine game winning streak and they are six and oh at at home excuse me they are opening up conference play this saturday versus texas and they're currently averaging about 77.2 points per game and they also have an offensive rating of 110.1 which is good enough for 45th in the 
country, uh, but they hold teams uh, to a very low uh, 38.1%, and as their field goal is slightly above 44 at 44 and a half, and their defense is rating as 85.9, which is good enough for 19th in the nation. So again, uh, part of that defensive rating is that field goal percentage that they hold their opponents to. So 38, about 38% of their shots uh, keeps it keeps Baylor uh, in a good enough position to win it just about every game. Uh, let's move on to number seven. We have Louisville here at 11-2. They are currently 1-1 one one on the road. Uh, their last game uh, was a loss, 70-78 uh, uh, at, at number 17, Kentucky. And so far, Louisville is 0-2 versus the top 25. They have a loss at Texas, at number 22, Texas Tech as well. That was a blowout loss, 57-70. Uh, but this year, uh, the Cardinal are being led by junior forward Jordan Inwara. Uh, he's averaging about 20.2 points a game, also 7.2 rebounds, and also 1.3 assists. Uh, moving on to number eight, we got Auburn, who is currently 8-0. Uh, they have a high, well, their one highlight win so far, it's against North Carolina State, 79-73. I say that as one highlight game because although NC State is not ranked this year, they're from a pretty prominent conference in college basketball. And for the most part, NC State does its part to be ranked at some point in the season and also uh, to make it to some sort of tournament action. So I still think despite them not being ranked, NC State is still a legit team. So good enough uh, for somewhat of a highlight win so far this season for Auburn because they have no wins versus the top 25 yet. Uh, they are their strength of schedule is currently 81st in the nation, so that's partly why they're 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 so far down uh, and they're, and they're still undefeated. Uh, no, like I said, no wins against top 25, but they are 13th in scoring with 82.2 points a game. But then again, I think that's relative to who they've been playing. I think when they get deeper into that SEC schedule. I can imagine that scoring, uh, those those scoring numbers go down just a little bit, just a little bit, maybe to 79, possibly 79 points a game. Uh, let's move on to number nine. We have Memphis. Uh, Memphis is 12 and one, and they have won 10 games in a row and uh, 10 games in a row. As you guys know uh, or may not know, uh, Penny Hardaway, former NBA great uh, for the Orlando Magic, is currently the coach for Memphis. I believe he's from that area as well. I could be wrong about that. Uh, their last game was a W, uh, 84-73 versus Tulane. Pretty easy game for them, being that Tulane is unranked because they were, they did lose, they, they won and only so far top 25 game versus Oregon and back in November of course they lost to number 4 Oregon 74 to 82 so somewhat of a of a beat down so we got to think about that as well uh Memphis averages about 80.1 points a game uh, with a 105.3 offensive rating. Uh, that is good enough for 135th in the country. So, again, they, they score a lot of points, but they keep teams within, you know, within striking distance. They average about 74.4 points a game. Uh, if they're shooting, if their shooting struggles a little bit that about a little bit that night, uh, those games are a little bit closer. It looks like in the game of Oregon, the game versus Oregon, uh, they just kind of got beat up in that game so they got to keep their scoring their scoring uh percentages right in order to, to keep up on these teams but at 12 and 1 uh they're still looking pretty good at this point in the season and finally at number 10 we have uh villanova now villanova is one and two versus the top 25 they have two losses uh the first one is at ohio state 51 to 76 uh, they also have a loss at baylor 78 to 87 uh, but they do have a win 56 to 55 versus kansas at home uh they are being led by junior guard connor Gillespie 
I think his numbers are a little bit down uh, between this season and last season. But this year, he's averaging 15 points, 2.3 rebounds, and also 4.9 assists. Uh, Villanova, I don't know what you're going to get uh, from Villanova this season. Do I think they're able to win this this conference? That's a good question. I believe they have another rematch against Xavier uh, over the course of the weekend. Uh, they had a pretty close game against them this week. Um what do I think about Villanova? Uh, I I think they're a solid squad. I just don't think they make it. They're, they're one of those teams, in, in my opinion, that don't make a deep tournament run this year. Just looking at what I see right now, they already have two losses against two pretty potent top 25 teams, top five teams. Uh, you know, the deeper in the tournament you're going to go, you're going to face these, 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 these great teams, these top five, you know, one, number one and number two in the nation. You're going to face those teams deep in the tournament. Villanova's already one and two against them. I don't like their chances going deep. Uh, I think they could possibly win that that conference, the Big East, uh, but I don't see them making a big deep tournament run this year. Uh, but let's go through some scores real quick. We're going to start off with New Year's Eve. Uh, we got Florida State number 18 getting it done against Georgia Tech. 70 to 58 was the final score here. Florida State uh, moves to 12 and two. Georgia Tech is six and seven. Uh, let's break down the stats in this one. For Georgia Tech, they were led by guard Michael DeBow. He would have 19 total points, also three assists and three rebounds, and Ford Moe. Is right with have 13 points and 10 rebounds for Florida. Uh, for Florida State, led by guard Devin Vassell, he would have 14 points and nine rebounds, and also Ford Patrick Williams, he would have 12 points and four rebounds coming off the bench. Uh, let's move on. Uh, we got Duke, number two Duke, getting it done against Boston College, 88 to 49. Uh, and finally, we also got Butler, number 11 Butler, getting it done against St. John's in a close one, 60 to 58. Let's move on to the action from uh, last night. We got number 13 San Diego State getting a victory against Fresno State, uh, two California rivals, 61 to 52 is the final score there. And up next, we got number 24. So, sorry, number 24, Wichita State, getting a win here against East Carolina. 75 to 69 is the final score here. Wichita State is now at 12 and 1. East Carolina is 6 and 8. Uh, for EC for ECU, aka East Carolina, they were led by Ford Jalen Gardner, who had 20, 29 points and t- t- 10 rebounds. Excuse me, the, the leading score between both teams here, and also guard JJ Miles got in got in 12 points, five rebounds, and two assists. For uh, for Wichita State, they were led by guard Eric Stevenson. He would have 17 points, 5 rebounds, and 9 assists. And also guard Jamarius Burden. He would have uh, 15 points, 3 assists, and also 3 rebounds. Let's move on. We're going to wrap everything up for today. Let's move on to the NBA. Uh, let's start off with some action from last night. Uh, first things first, we have an East, uh, Eastern Conference matchup between the Magic and the Wizards. The Magic get a win in this one despite losing one of their top scorers, Ford. Uh, What's his name? Jonathan Isaacs. He he hyperextended his knee. I will have more on that later on this week, but he will be missing some time. Uh, but the Magic do get the W in this one, 122 to 101. The Magic are now at 15 and 19 on the year. The Wizards moved down to 10 and 13 in what has been a disastrous season for them. But that goes to say the least. Uh, for the Magic, they were led by guard DJ Augustine. He would have 25 points, nine assists, and three rebounds coming off the bench. I don't know why he's still coming off the bench when he's scoring 25. Five, but that's that's the magic for you. Uh, center Nikola Jokic uh, had 20 points, 12 rebounds, and two assists. And guard Eric Fournier uh, got about 18 points and four rebounds. Uh, moving on, we got the Wizards here. 
Bradley Beal will be the leading scorer for both teams, actually, with 27 points, 5 assists, and 4 rebounds. And also guard Jordan McRae with that 15 points and 7 rebounds. Moving on, we got the Timberwolves uh, taking a loss here to the Bucks, 104 to 106. Um, the Timberwolves are 12 and 21 this year, and the Bucks are move up to 31 and 5. Uh, to break this one down, the, t- the Timberwolves were led by guard Shabazz Napier. He would have 22 points, six rebounds, uh, also three assists in center. Gorgie Dang, he would have five, uh, 15 points and six rebounds. For the Bucks, of course, he was led by Giannis Antetokounmpo, 32 points for him, 17 rebounds and also four assists. But the next leading scorer after that was Chris Middleton, 13 points, eight rebounds and four assists. Moving on, we got the Blazers uh, taking a beat down from the Knicks. I don't care about Carmelo going back to New York. They want to talk about that being the story. Fuck all that. He had a 26-point game or something like that, the most points he scored in the season. I don't give a damn about that. We get blown out. That's that's typical of that's typical Carmelo basketball. He's a, he scores a whole bunch of points, and we don't distribute the ball. The team doesn't distribute the ball, and they lose by a big margin. I'm not feeling I'm not feeling Carmelo. I want wins. I don't care about his 26 points. I don't care if people is, is saluting. I want wins. I'm not seeing no wins right now. I'm not happy being a Blazers fan. I'm just gonna be honest with you. I'm not happy with the deal. I don't know why we would pick up. I don't know why we even pick him up. I don't care about the points he scores. We don't win games with him. So, uh, again, I'm not convinced by Carmelo. Sorry. Uh, moving on. Uh, finally, we have the Suns taking another loss to the Lakers. Third, uh, sorry. Uh, 107 to 117 is the final score here. The Suns are 13 and 21. The Lakers are 27 and 7. Um, for the for the stats here, uh, for the Suns, Devin Booker will lead the way for them. Uh, he was actually the leading scorer between both teams as well. 32 points, seven assists, and two rebounds. And Kelly Oubre Jr., the small four, would have 26 points, three assists, and six rebounds. For the Lakers, of course, LeBron would do his thing. He would have 30, 31 points, 12 assists, and also 13 rebounds. Anthony Davis would provide 26 points, 11 rebounds, and two assists. And Kyle Kuzma would have 19 points and four rebounds coming off the bench. Let's take a look at the uh, standings for a little bit. Uh, we're going to start off in the Eastern Conference. And in the Eastern Conference, of course, the Bucks are on top at 31-5. They are 8-2 and two in the last 10. They are, of course, first in scoring with 119.8 points per game. They're also first in pace, which is a, which is which which basically equals to the amount of possessions that they can get in a game. Uh, they rank first in pace with 104.6. A lot of mo- well, more possessions mean more chances to score points. So, again, leading scoring team. They're leading pace. That makes about sense. That makes that seems about right to me. Uh, they are also third in offensive rating at 114.2. But this team is very balanced. They are ninth in points allowed at 106.6. And that defensive rating is first in the league at 10, uh, I believe that's 107, actually 101.6. Let's move on to the Celtics. They are 23 and 8. They are five and a half games back. They have gone seven and three in their last 10. Their last game was a W, 109 to 92 at Charlotte. And guard Kimball Walker is story for them this year with 22 and a half points per game. Uh, he has a shooting percentage of 43.2. He's also averaging 3.9 rebounds and also 4.2 assists. Moving on, we have the Heat here at number three. They are 24 and nine. The Raptors are next at 23 and 11. At five, we have the Pacers here at 22 and, and 12. Uh, at six, we have the Sixers here at 23 and 13. They have gone four and six in the last 10. They have been struggling for the moment, 
just a little bit. Uh, at number seven, we have the Nets here at 516 and 16 is a record. And finally, at eight, we have the Magic here at 15 and 19. They are 15 games back. They are 30th in scoring at 102.9 points per game. But they are sco they are third in scoring defense with 104 points allowed per game. Um, Again, they just don't score more than what they allow. That's unfortunate. Uh, they are 106. They have a 106.9 defensive rating, which is good enough for 11th in the NBA. And uh, they're a good defensive team. They just cannot outscore their opponents. That's that sucks. Uh, that's that's the biggest takeaway you can take away from. That's the biggest takeaway for Orlando is that they cannot score their opponents, and which is something you got to do to win a game. Uh, let's move on to the Western Conference, where of course the Lakers are still on top. They are 27 and seven, six and four in the last ten. They are ninth in scoring with 112. 112.4 points per game. They have an offensive rating that is good enough for 7th in the NBA. 111.9, so they're not too bad. They are 4th in defense. 105.3 um, uh, uh, points allowed per game. And they have a defensive rating that is 4th in the league uh, with 104.8. So, uh, for the Lakers, they are outscoring teams, of course, which is something that the Magic are not doing. Uh, but they're playing really deep, really good defense. So, again, another balanced team at the top of the standings. A lot of people, you know, they made a lot, you know, they made a, a lot of hubbub about the Christmas Day game between them and the Clippers. Um, you know, the, the Clippers may lead the head-to-head -head series, but for what it's worth, the Lakers are still number one in the conference, and the Clippers are third for what it's worth. At uh, number two, we have the, the Nuggets here. They are 23-10. They are three and a half games back. They've gone eight and two in the last ten, so they got to worry about the Nuggets just as well. The Clippers here at three, at the third place spot are 24-11. and 11. The Rockets are at 23-11. The Mavericks are 21-12. The Jazz are 21-12 as well. We also have the Thunder here at 18-15. And, and finally, rounding out the rear, the rear in the Western Conference, excuse me, we have the Spurs at 14-18. and 18. They are 12 games back, 6-4 and four in the last 10, so they're a little bit inconsistent to say the least. They are 7th in scoring with 118.4 uh, points per game, but they are 24th in defense. They allow 114.9 points a game. You know, uh, if they're not shooting well that particular night, it seems to me that they're going to probably lose that game. That's just I would be I would be surprised if that team field goal percentage was at about 50 percent. I actually would be surprised. Uh, but let's move on. We have a couple of news stories to go over here. Uh, the first big news story is the death of former commissioner uh, David Stern. Uh, like I said, he was a former commissioner of the NBA. He passed away yesterday at the age of 77 as a result of a brain hemorrhage he suffered about three weeks ago. Uh, this is a quote coming from the current commissioner of the NBA, Adam Silver. He went on to say, for 22 years, I have had I had a courtside seat to watch David in action. He was a mentor and one of my dearest friends. Uh, you know, for those of you who may not know, uh, we're going to break it down. Uh, David Stern was served as a commissioner of the league for 30 years starting in 1984. Stern would see to the addition of seven teams in the NBA and also the, release, the relocation excuse me, of six others. Uh, David Stern would also launch the WNBA, well, help launch the WNBA in 1997, and he also would establish what we know now as the G League or our developmental league for the NBA. The NBA. Uh, now, Stern's last season, or oh, Stern's first season uh, was Michael Jordan's rookie season, and his retirement would be in 2014. So he would see 
the birth of the Jordan era. He would also see the 90s and all the greatness that came from that. The six, the six championships by the Bulls. He would also oversee the Lakers dynasty, although there was some drama with that. That I'll probably, I'll always will think about when I think of him. <laughs> and this is no disrespect. He's, he, you know, of course he he passed, uh, but definitely uh, he had a quote that said, "If I were, I'm, and I'm, you know, paraphrasing." They asked him, "Who would you, who would your ideal, you know?" NBA Finals be he said the Lakers versus the Lakers so you know <laughs> say what you want um now he's also now he now the first four lockouts now there, like I said there was some drama uh during his tenure now the NBA had his first four lockouts that occurred during his watch uh 90, 1995 96 98 and also 2011 and 1998 and 2011 would see the NBA actually lose some games in their schedule so the schedule had to be shortened so there was some drama it wasn't all peaches and cream um now however under Stern he made it a more the NBA more international league uh he would increase the tv revenue uh yearly from just 10 million to also not to, from 10 million to 900 million per year and like i said on a global scale uh the nba will play over 150 150 overseas games under his tenure and also televised it was also televised in more than 200 countries and also 40 languages so he brought it mainstream he brought it to the for the world to see so you got to give him some props there a lot of fans and a lot of you know knowledgeable people in the sport i didn't mention this one here in the notes but this one of course is coming up to my head this one of the last things i remembered about reading about him he was also very supportive of magic johnson and his fight with hiv and his revealing of that to the world um so he was i mean overall i think you know the league grew uh, of course, there was some strife. We saw that. Of course, there was some drama. I mean, nothing is without drama. Of course, we have the strikes, and of course, we all know about the infamous, the infamous Western Conference Finals. Uh, I told you this quote, <laughs> uh, but um, you know, the NBA grew. It became what it is today because of David Stern. Um, I don't think you have the superstars you do today or the, 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 the concept of the superstar that we have today if it wasn't for David Stern and what he was able to do in terms of putting it on for the whole world to see. Um, and it's beautiful. I mean, as an American, as a person who lives in America, it's always good to see uh, other countries embrace, you know, what we have going on here. So if they're embracing our NBA in a positive light, if they're if they're clamoring about LeBron James, uh, they're clamoring for Michael Jordan. I think that's that's a good thing. That's a positive. That's a that's a that's a thumbs up. So again, for the most part, I, I think um, definitely R.I.P. to David Stern. My condolences to his family and the NBA community because again, uh, he was a he he was part of what made uh, this league as big as it is, and, it, and it's probably next to football. Uh, one of the biggest leagues and because of its international following i think it might even uh, supersede the nfl in some ways i don't think anybody takes over the nfl in terms of domestic uh what goes on here in america but if we're talking about the world scale yeah yeah nba has definitely overtaken the nfl and i think it's no question uh the nba i think was the first sport in my that i've been seeing uh come from america well well I, I, you have baseball but i think the but i think the level in which you know basketball is exported is is phenomenal. It's 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 tenfold uh, compared to what baseball can do. I know baseball was created here in the United States. It's grown, but not to the point that that, that basketball has. And it was a recent turn. I and I can I can almost I can almost talk about when I think I started to see those changes come about. You know. Um, I think I, you can go back to the 90s and say, and, and you can go, you can trigger it back to the 90s and say, uh, at least on the on the national level, it became 
you know, basketball became a dominant sport with, you know, you had Magic Johnson his last few years, and then, of course, the explosion of Michael Jordan. The NBA was on the rise anyways because you had the A's with Magic Johnson, and you also had the the, um, the Pistons and the Celtics. But, again, it was a national thing. I think it was just kind of getting, you know, the, the foothold in America domestically. I think it even exploded, of course, in the 90s. But I, I think that in international phase, the minute, the minute it was Dirk, the minute you started to see Dirk in the league, um, I think the biggest international star, one of the first really big international stars, was Xiao Ming. Because uh, again, he tapped, they tapped into a whole different. They tapped into China, and that was a huge market. Um, and so, like right around the late '90s, early 2000s, there was this big explosion about the NBA being overseas, about you know going to different countries. So I remember that, and I definitely you know. Even as a kid, I understood, oh, David Stern, he's behind that. You saw him in all the, you know, the, the league games and whatever city they was in. You saw him behind all the initiatives. And I, I can actually go back to 97 and vaguely remember the NBA, about well, at least his origins. And he was a part of that. I remember all that, him being, you know, behind the scenes in that. Uh, so definitely he was a part of, you know, what makes the NBA great today so um despite some of the drama like I said I'm very still bitter about what happened to the the Sacramento Kings especially after I've heard that quote about the Lakers that he made um and of course of course we had the worker strikes the 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 uh the uh the lockouts so there was some drama but for the most part I, I think you know if you ask the players, if you ask anybody who knows, you know, their basketball, they ask the positive things to say about David Stern. I think he was, for, for the most part, a good commissioner. You know, that's just what it, you know, whatever. Um, but let's move on. Uh, we got one more story to talk about here. Uh, Darren Collison, uh, he's eyeing a comeback. Now, I talk, we talked about him right before the offseason started. Uh, I mentioned him retiring, kind of random, but he wanted to spend some time with family. And he also wanted to get into his religion, which is uh, Jehovah's Witness. So there's no problems there. I nothing you know against him for wanting to be uh religious nothing nothing for that just a little bit random for me because he's only 31 years old uh just getting out of his prime but still uh productive very productive uh he's definitely signing with an la he's definitely interested in signing with an la team though whether it be uh the lakers or the clippers and he's also trying to make his comeback happen in february um, the the L the, the L A situation. I think that's mostly because he's from SoCal. He went to UCLA. That's where he got his education. Uh, like I said, he's a SoCal native, and he played for the Clippers as well in t- the 2013 season. So he's he knows about L A. He's probably was he's probably been here the entire time, at least in the SoCal area, at least during his retirement. He's probably been there, uh, reconnecting with family. So I don't think he wants to travel away from that again. His main reason for stepping away, like I said before, his main reason for stepping away from the game was to get closer to family. So I don't see him leaving Southern California again. So it makes sense that the Lakers and the Clippers are are two of his top choices. Now, like I was saying before, um, it was definitely confusing to see him go because, again, he was a he was definitely productive uh and it's in the 2017 2018 season he would actually lead the league in three-point percentage go figure when you have you know curry and you know thompson it's darren collison who led the three-point percentage in 2017 uh and he also and it, and it went down slightly well it went down um a bit in 2018 but just because the volume his volume went down but he went down to 40 percent but 40 percent 
40% from three is still respectable. Uh, your average, the guys that they're saying that are great at it, or maybe with the exception of, of Curry and, and um, Thompson, you know, the average three-point shooter is around 40 to 42%. With the average guy, they're, they're, they're putting a good three-point title on, three-point shooter title on, is about 40 to 42%. So, he's a good three-point shooter for the most part. He's developed that. It wasn't part of his game at first. Um and so it was, again so it was a little bit confusing as to why he might step away but i you know you know when you think about it and you listen to what his quotes were and i did you know I, and i like to when i and that's why when i you know share some of these stories a lot of these stories i'm going to tell you guys the facts i'm going to tell you guys facts and numbers and figures and a date or so i'm going to give you all that because you need that but i'm also going to give you some quotes as well and you know how people are feeling because it's a good idea to see all that in context so when i look back at those articles i you know looked at his quotes and again he really wanted to spend time with his family he's very um into his religion and there's again there's nothing wrong with that uh so he's back he's looking to play as far as what team needs him or should definitely get him i think the both that both teams uh, would really benefit from his services. Is there a matter of who needs him more? Mm, um, or if a team, uh, if they, one of them needs them? I don't think they need him per se. Either one of the teams need him. But I definitely think, in my, in my humble opinion, he doesn't hurt either team, and he actually adds another another layer to either team. Um, for the for the Clippers, he could definitely be their starting point guard. I think offensively, he has a few more capabilities than Patrick Beverly. He's not a great as great of a defender as Pat Beverly, but I think he's a better scorer than Pat Beverly, and I don't think his defense is a liability. So I think he can stay on the court and play some defense as well along the perimeter. Um, they can work with him. They might have, a, you know, because again, they have Lou Williams there coming off the bench. I would have to make him a starter, honestly. I think he's good enough to start. Of course, he's had some time away. I, you know, all the numbers that you saw, the 47% from three, that was with him as a starter. Uh, the 40% from three from t uh, in last season was with the Pacers, where he was a starter, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he got, and I think the reason that, he, that they got Malcolm Brogdon not being the Pacers was because he, you know, he went away. Um, so I think offensively he could add some things to either team. Uh, I definitely know if you're talking about the Lakers, he's a better scorer uh, than Rondo, uh, especially when you add what he can do, uh, his three-point capabilities, better free throw shooter. Uh, so he can definitely replace uh, one to two starting guards. That's that's the whole thing. Now the question is, you know, do do, do you want to do you want to fix that? Do you feel that? Do you feel as though you can you can be a, a lot better with? what you have or do you feel like you could be a lot better with Collison as opposed to what you have and I feel you know because then again you got you got LeBron there you know of course they might have their starting point guard but we already know LeBron is the ball carrier you know and Collison is a ball carrying point guard that's kind of what he is he's a pass first type point guard so that might throw things off for the Lakers depending on what you want to do with him maybe you can have him coming off the bench for the Lakers um, I'm not too sure if both teams need him or either team needs him, but again, he's definitely it would be a good addition for either or, depending on what they're trying to do. I and mean, he can again, he can score, uh, he can pass the ball pretty well. 
And I don't think he's a liability defensively. So any team, any, any team can use him, and he definitely wants to make a comeback. So uh, he, look for him to be back soon. I just don't know which which team yet. <laughs> All right, y'all. Uh, I'm gonna call it a wrap for today. Of course, later on this week we have my I have my top ten uh, favorite video game albums. Of course, we'll be updating you guys more on some college basketball news scores all that um of course some more nba action we're going to be getting ready for the playoffs this week as well so we're going to have some previews for that i'm going to have some previews for that so don't worry i'll be back with you guys soon i also have some more on the street as well some new segments uh but for now i'm going to call it a wrap if you guys are looking to get in touch with me you can hit me up on my email at ljbutler75 at gmail.com eljbutler75 at gmail.com that is el J Butler B U T L E R at gmail.com. I also have a Facebook page and an Instagram page as well at L Jamal Johnny E L J A M A H A D J A N I. Once again, that is E L J A M A H A D J A N I. I also have a Facebook page for the show as well. You can look me up there at Never Out of Bounds. Never N E V E R out o-u-t of o-f and of course bounce b-o-u-n-d-s of course this is your man al jamal signing out for today but i plan to be back soon if anybody hasn't told you yet i love you peace out one love and i'll holler at y'all guys later